So Matthew chapter 5, um, we will, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Uh, we will not get through all of them tonight. I have five pages of notes. We will not get through all I was just going at it, and I realized, um, yeah, we're not going to get through all of these. But before we jump into it, one thing that I want to just clarify is that often um, the Beatitudes have been like framed or said the Beatitudes, like this is what you're to be about. Um, And I think that the reality is is that God is really talking about hearts. What is the heart of of a believer? What does it look like? It's not so much about your action as much as it is about what, where your heart is. And, and that's what I think it's important for us to always remember when it comes to the things of the Christian faith. It really is boils down to your heart more than it does what you do. There's a lot of people, and I was one of those, that looked like a good Christian on Sundays because I knew how to act. I knew how to act the part. And those who didn't know me really well or didn't see me in other contexts would think I was a perfect little Christian boy. But my heart was wicked and full of of ill intent and very selfish and very lustful and all these things. And so I was able to show it. So it's not so much what you look like on the outside. Um, In fact, Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. It's like, you guys look great, but inside you're empty. And so when we look at the Beatitudes, we want to look at um, this idea of what does it look like in the heart. And again, it really will make us realize, not to get to the end too quickly, but it will make us realize the desperate need for God to give us a heart that is controlled and ruled by the Holy Spirit and not by us. So, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So a couple real quick just... Practical notes, scholarly notes, for lack of a better term. Um, it, it's, we sit there and we say, well, he sat down and he taught this all in a row. That's not necessarily accurate. We do believe clearly that there was one spot in particular that Jesus did a lot of his teaching. A uh, quick note, he sat down uh, and he sat down to teach. That was the, the posture of teachers. If they were to proclaim or to preach, they would stand up. If they were to teach, they would sit down. That was just the culture of the day. So, so he sat down. That was important because when he sat down, they would know he's going to teach us something. 
Um, and so the, we don't know whether or not all of these were done in sequential order because basically the Sermon on the Mount is, is chapters 5, 6, and 7. But we do know that, this is, that these happened probably in this one region in Israel um, next to the sea. And so it's different from the Luke uh, account Luke 5, I believe it is, where it was considered the, uh, the Sermon on the Plain, and he only brings his few disciples in to talk about that, mentions very similar things to this. So we see that what this is, is a culmination of really re- what Jesus taught while he was on the earth. So the idea of Beatitudes, the word Beatitude means blessing, or blessed. Blessing or blessed. When we look at where it says, um, bless are the poor in spirit. The word blessed there could also be translated, oh, how happy. And so I think that's important for us to uh, realize that, oh, how happy are these people when we're looking at this. It's not so much just blessed, it's you're happy. Oh, how happy when these things are true of you. And we do need to note this is not just the 12. Right after he healed a bunch of people, as we saw at the end of chapter 4, um, and great crowds were following him, um, he saw the crowds, sat down, and taught. His disciples came to him. We would say this is a multitude of disciples, not just the 12 whom he later called apostles. Uh, so again, sometimes I think we need to be careful when we hear the word disciple that we're only making it the 12. Jesus had a lot of people following him. Um, for a long period of time around. In fact, we, we understand that when they're waiting uh, for the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, there were 120 disciples of Jesus there. That's what, well, the 11 apostles at that point in time, because Judas was no longer, uh, Judas of Iscariot. Um, and so, because there was another Judas. But, but, but there was 120 in that room. So we know that there were still many um, and women and were included also. So let's look at verse three. Blessed are, oh, how happy are the poor in spirit. And so this does not mean that uh, you are like going around like Eeyore or whoever. <laughs> Whoa, was me. But it is how blessed we are when we recognize our need for a savior. It's really as simple as that. Um, And that's one thing that I like that we do here in our tradition is that every time we gather together on a Sunday morning, um, I don't think there's an exception, but we we do this confession and absolution. This is a recognition of our great need of the mercy of God and his provision in Jesus Christ. It's it's a, um, what I would say, a profitable and a realistic acknowledgement of where we would be if it were not for God, right? I mean, and and I don't want us to take too much time, but just for a quick moment, think about where you would be without the work of God. And we don't like to think of that because we remember what we were and we were lost and we were without a shepherd. And so we, we will realize that we're poor in spirit. We recognize our need for, this, for a Savior. It also recognizes in the spiritual bankruptcy, right? We, left to ourselves, are completely and utterly spiritually and morally bankrupt. Let's look at Psalm 51.1. Psalm 51.1. And we hear kind of this idea here. Again, Scripture defines Scripture. So when Jesus says, oh, how happy... 
are the poor in spirit? Well, let's kind of see the examples that we have of that. Psalm 51.1. This is a famous uh, psalm after the prophet Nathan comes to David and confronts him with the fact that he has killed Uriah. And um, it's just a great line where Nathan says, you are the man. I mean, it's just, it's not like, it's like, you're the man. It's like, you're the man. He's like, no. I can't be the man, no. And in Psalm 51.1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. That is someone who is poor in spirit. Have mercy on me, O God, blot out my transgressions. But according to your steadfast love, it's okay to remember that because we're not just left spiritually bankrupt. We're not just left utterly undone. Uh, because God wants to intervene. Psalm 123.3. And I would encourage you, if you don't make it a habit already, um, to, to take some time, if you're bored one day, just start reading the Psalms. Psalms is a great picture of the Christian life. It shows the ebb and flow of how we feel on top of the world and we want to praise the Lord and how we feel like I'm dirt, you know. And then there's also tons of pictures of Jesus Christ in it. It's fun to look at. So um, Psalm 123.3, Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. So we are really, really desperate. Matthew 9, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but Matthew 9, 27. Matthew 9, 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. Again, this idea of mercy and, and asking for mercy, begging for mercy. When they say have mercy on us, that's a posture of, of, of begging. I need mercy. I, I, I can't get it for myself. Please deliver it to me. Have mercy on me, O God. Again, poor in spirit, recognition that they need Jesus and Jesus alone. Matthew 15. I just want to keep saying your name over and over, Matt. Matthew 15. Really confusing. I know, right? <laughs> no, I'm older than 15. <laughs> 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, the Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even, but yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as, your desire, as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. She was desperate. She was in need. She understood, number one, that she was a woman. She understood that Jesus was a Jew. She understood all these things. But she was so desperate, like much of Bible study this morning, so desperate that, that he had the answer. There was, again, this poverty of the soul or this great poor in spirit. For theirs, verse 3 again, is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want us to notice something. 
He doesn't say theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Someday they will have the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen, Jesus Christ is residing in each of us who have recognized our great need for his mercy. He is the kingdom. He is the king of the kingdom. He said often, he goes, repent, the kingdom is at hand. And then he often said, and the kingdom of God is here. In Jesus Christ is the kingdom of God. Again, Jesus and John, the baptizer, both said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand or it is near. So when a person repents and recognizes their need, again, this poor in spirit for the work of God, they are born into the kingdom and Jesus resides in them. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. So I want to encourage all of us, the kingdom of heaven is ours right now. And I know that sometimes that's hard for us to see, right? but, But God is always giving us peace. God is always drawing us to to trust and assurance in him uh, because the world wants to rip off the kingdom of heaven from you. So Philippians 3 verse 20. Sure, Philippians 3 verse 20. I would encourage you, um, if you struggle with feeling secure about who you are in Christ, to memorize a few, few verses. This would be one of them. Philippians 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So our citizenship right now is in heaven. Another one that would be great for you to understand, John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 1 through three. If I can get there. <clears throat> now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. <laughs> Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The reason I chuckle is because... <laughs> Jesus is like, okay, forget all this stuff. Let's just get to it. Because uh, calls Nicodemus out. We have been born again. And so we can see the kingdom of God because we have been born again. 1 John chapter 3. Another one I would encourage you to really hold on to. If you... 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3. 1 John 3, 1 through 2. Is it weird that first John is actually the second book named John? Is it? Yes. <laughs> well, the gospel of John. So one through two. Yeah, 1 John 3, 1 through 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, or a better translation, in my opinion, is lavished upon us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Okay, so we stop there. And I want to, if you're poor in spirit, recognize your need for a savior. You've cried out for mercy. You've been born again. You are now a citizen of heaven and you are now, right now, his children. You are part of the kingdom of God. So yours is the kingdom of God. 1 John 3. 
See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. I didn't finish it, but 3A. Okay. 1 John yeah, 3. Yeah, I'm there. Okay. <laughs> is yours not read that way? No, it reads that way. Oh, okay. I'm climbing chemo brain for the next five years. Oh, great. Well, that's great. We'll take that. <laughs> we can all we can say pandemic brain or COVID brain. So we are all there with you. So. You mentioned lavish, though. Yeah. Oh, because a better translation than uh, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. A better a better that word there means lavished upon us. And so that's probably. Yeah, yeah, you know, that makes sense. No. Yeah, that makes Don't sense. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so back to Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Oh, oh, how happy are those who mourn. And that's just like, what? Oh, how happy are those who mourn. Again, though, this is mourning twofold over our sinful nature and our spiritual depravity. Also mourning over the brokenness and the depravity of the world. Uh, because we recognize the need that everybody has. And, and it's important for us, I think, to find that balance of looking at the world and not, and not I have the, the tendency to just be just disgusted with the world mm-hmm. and just say, well, you know, instead of going, wait a second, they are just sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus looked at them and saw, and saw that they were sheep without a shepherd and that they were harassed. That's, a, that's one of the, can't remember which gospel it's in, but he saw that they were a people who were harassed and without a shepherd. And it helps me to go, okay, they're harassed and controlled by the enemy and the brokenness of this world. And again, they really don't know any better. Now we think they should, right? We don't go, they should know better. And, but in the reality of things spiritually, they don't know better. They're trying to, to walk around in darkness, complete darkness, and in death. And so even though we see that they're being used for certain things, and there's this agenda from the enemy that's using the people themselves really don't know because they have rejected what God has had planned for them. And so Paul tells us that they exchange the truth of God for a lie. So they're following something that is always going to lead them astray and away from God. And so, but God has called us to go and to try to help them realize. And so I think sometimes um, we, we have a tendency to really think that people are, um, and, and some are, so I know I gotta be careful here, but that are, they are intentionally just railing against God and his ways. And I, sometimes I just think of Jesus on the cross and said, man, they just don't know what they're doing. They're harassed. They're sheep without a shepherd. And so I look at that and it helps me so that I won't get, because God's in control. There's some people that probably are totally, you know, God knows, right? That, that, but, but I need to be careful that I don't put everybody in that category, that there are a lot of people who just are harassed. You have a very complex look on your face. That makes sense what you're saying, but it's very difficult for me to apply this to America when there's a church on every corner, the most read book is the the Bible, Mm -hmm. almost every home has one, and it's kind of like... 
Well, but we're. What excuse are they? So, well, let, let, me, let me speak to that. Um, and I'm not calling you this, so be careful. But we're fools to think that everyone who walks into the church are on the same page of, of Christianity yeah, than what the Bible true. says. So um, the challenge is, and I would say there is a big challenge, because American Christianity, oh boy, it's being recorded. I would say runs very close. True Western American Christianity, I would say is not true Christianity. <gasps> uh, you no, know, because really they've incorporated the, the prosperity and this idea of, of favor of God. It's very, um, if you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, uh, it's very, this idea, very pharisaical, this idea of, well, I'll be successful um, as long as I include God a little bit, right? Um, and so I'll go to church because church actually is great for networking. I mean, it, you know, I can make some good business deals in the church and get connected and they'll scratch my back and I'll scratch theirs. But the, the mission of God is totally off. Now, to your point, I, I hear your confusion, well, but they've got the Bible, I mean, they're going to church. They should know, well, if they haven't had this idea that they're poor in spirit and they haven't been born again and they're still walking around dead in sin, they are sheep. Because even, and that's what Jesus was talking to the Jewish people who were very religious. And he says, they're, they're sheep being harassed without a shepherd. And he had compassion. He said, and he, he looks over them as Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long have I wanted to, 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 to collect you and hold you as a, as a, as a hen does her chicks, but you would not have it. So there's still some onus on them. I'm not saying there's yes, not. There's a lot of parallels between G- Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and, and yeah. Oh, yeah. U.S. For sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, today too, but yeah, I mean, it's fr- and I hear your point. It's frustrating because you're, you know, to us, we're like, what? what? Yeah, how can you but, I, but on a personal <laughs> note, I went in church for years and knew what it said. Yeah. but didn't understand my depravity of soul. A good friend of mine that I taught with at a Christian school, he was a Quaker pastor for 22 years, and then he got saved. Uh, you know, so his story's phenomenal. I mean, he... <laughs> in fact, the gal who introduced Lara and I went to his church. And uh, we found that out years later. But, but um, you know, he ended up having an affair with his secretary, and then they got married. But that's when he realized, oh, whoops, I'm not all that, you know, and I, and he was confronted that he goes, I prepared sermons and I didn't believe one of them, but that's just what I did. And so again, it was, it's a good picture for us to go. There's people that go to church day in and day out and don't understand that depravity. Yeah. I always think of the the verse that says that, you know, Christ will say, um, Mm. not everyone who said, Oh Lord, Oh Lord will inherit the kingdom of heaven and be like, depart from me. I never knew you. You never knew me. (laughs) And there will be a lot of, I mean, you don't want to be judgy, but there's a lot of American Christians that that will be said to them for what you just kind of expressed. Well, I went to America. I mean, right? You know, that's the attitude sometimes. And we don't want to be, we have to be careful. We don't want to sit there and go point fingers at them. But we need to realize that people need Jesus and they're trying to run on their own steam. They're trying to to be their own savior. A week ago, themselves as their functional savior. You know, oh, and so in certain the sermon last week we talked about whatever you put your trust in. Martin Luther said that is your functional savior, and so people are thinking that my house will save me, my finances, the stock market will save me, uh, you know, or whatever my position in a company. 
uh, where, what part of the world I live in, you know, things like that. And what church I go to, that'll save me. Uh, you know, and, and this is nothing against any of us, but I struggle when people say, well, I'm a Lutheran. Okay, yeah, you, you, you are a Christian who practices Lutheran or fellowships at a Lutheran church or, you know, practices Lutheran doctrine, right? <laughs> you know, and, and because, well, first of all, Luther wanted us to be called evangelicals, just so you know. So, <laughs> so would it be fair to say, mindful that this is being recorded, you know, here in Pocatello, <laughs> there are a lot of... Christian churches, but there is a portion of them that are not teaching biblical principles. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. And then my expansion is to the greater United States. Yeah, I would say, I, w- I would qualify that a little bit and say there are a lot of Christian churches, but not everyone who attends those churches are adhering to the doctrine that is taught. So, I mean, you and know, even the preachers aren't necessarily. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a handful of guys that I really would trust around here. I wouldn't look at some of the issues the way they do, but they love Jesus and they want people to know Jesus, and which is really the, the, the most important part. Some of the other stuff I can let go and whatnot uh, and judge them from afar. No, I'm just kidding. But, mm-hmm. Matt? Uh, maybe just a, I was thinking of a rephrase. It's maybe, you know, not to speak the character, but just maybe not every. Thing that is taught is biblically consistent. Sound or, or right. yeah. yeah. So maybe some doctrines are not. Yeah. And so some of the challenge I have entering into a definitive conversation with that is I was in a tradition that thought we were the only ones who were right. And I'm like, mm, look at church history. We're not the only ones who are right. And every generation and every has tried to figure out how how the relationship between God and man works. And there's been some misses along the way. Um, And so I I just have to be, you know, again, I believe if they're opening the Bible and reading it and doing their best to teach it, there are very, then I would say that there are a couple pastors in the area that I would probably say don't go there. But that would be a one-on-one conversation. (laughs) So, you know, it's kind of like authors. There's some authors that I would, I would caution people. Um, you know, uh, but doesn't mean that you throw out everything, right? Because there's some good stuff still. You can still pull some stuff out of there. But this, can't throw any of it out, right? Because it's, first of all, it's heavy. No, but so. <laughs> no, that's good. So we mourn over our spiritual depravity. So Isaiah chapter six. I think this is, again, <laughs> I, I default to this portion of scripture a lot um, because I think it is the most beautiful picture of our, our condition, Isaiah chapter 6, uh, we'll go verses uh, 1 through uh, 7. Um, and Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. And to me, this is one of the best pictures of, number one, what it means to be someone who mourns over their spiritual depravity. And another thing, someone who receives mercy. Because this is just a beautiful picture. And it's also a delightful picture of salvation and who does what in salvation? Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. We can have lots of conversations about conversion someday. So, so Isaiah 6 verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. 
And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So what's interesting is just in the previous chapter, Isaiah gives five woes to the people. I mean, he's telling the people of Israel and the kingdom, he's like, you guys, woe to you. Uh, and so here, and then he sees the Lord. And his response is, woe is me, for I am undone. Spiritual depravity, mourning over his spiritual condition. For I am a man of unclean lips. And he identifies himself with the people that he's been preaching to. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He doesn't sit there and say, yeah, see? And he's like, oh. And what I love about this scene right here, this picture, this glimpse of salvation and atonement that we see here is, Isaiah doesn't say, what must I do? Isaiah doesn't say, so what do I need to do to make this right? He just says, I'm undone. And then God. So we see, oh, how happy is the poor in spirit. Oh, how happy is he who mourns because then God can work. It's when we get in the way, and I've done this almost my whole Christian life. Well, now I'm going to do this, Lord. You've been so good to me, now let me do this. And he's like, well, that's great, but did you wait? Can you just wait for me to work a little bit? Um, and so he brings me to the point and has brought me to the point where I'm just undone, and I'm really at the mercy of the Lord. I mean, I, there's, it, Lara will tell you, well, no, she won't because she covers, she loves me greatly and covers a multitude of sins. But Lara will tell you there have been moments where she's seen that in me, that there was no answer. We, because I had screwed up so bad, that there's no way. But God, God gave us peace. God gave us strength. God gave us faith. And he created and made a pathway um, in, in radical ways. Uh, I mean, the reason I'm sitting here today is because God worked in ways that out of his mercy that I would have been like, what? He's the way maker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and then again, back to Psalm 51. Uh, change the song. No. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't have to. That's a good song. Yeah, yeah. Psalm 51. Let's look at the whole thing. Why not? So we read the first verse, but we'll read it again. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Again, that sin nature was passed on and in sin did my mother conceive. 
deceive me. So just remember that sinful creatures from the fall, that's just passed on. He's not saying that some weird thing happened uh, because a lot of people question that. What do you mean I was conceived in sin? Well, (laughs) well, just the reality is (laughs) sin's in the world. So you get it because because you're born. What? She's in her own little world. Okay. So... Connie, that was Laura. Okay, so, so she's going to be the one that listens to this. Ah, they're like, what kind, of co- what kind of coffee were they drinking tonight? Okay, so, uh, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities, all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. Now then he goes on to say, Then I will teach transgressors transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. There's that blessed are, oh, how happy is those who are poor in spirit. Oh, how happy are those who mourn. Um, and then we see, we're not going to go back to Isaiah 6, but right after his sin has been cleansed, he hears God having a conversation and saying, whom shall I send? And now Isaiah can say, here am I, send me. And again, so we need to always realize that, that God has stuff for us to do even after, right? So they show, or Luke 5, let's not get away from blessed are those who mourn. Yeah, we're not done crying. Um, Luke 5, verse 1 through 8. <laughs> All right. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boats. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. Uh, but at your word, I will let down the nets. I'm putting the inflections in. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all, keep going, that were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had, they had taken. And also were with him James and John, the sons of, of Zebedee, who were with partners with Simon. And Jesus said to, to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Again, very huge parallel to Isaiah. Woe is me. Depart from, I mean, I can't even be in your presence. I'm, a, I'm an unclean person. I'm a sinful man. And God doesn't say, yeah, you're right. Get out of here. God's like, exactly. Now. Let's go do stuff, right? 
And, and I think that a lot of times we get to, well, let's go do stuff. Or we stay in this, oh, you know, I'm so, I'm so unworthy, you know, woe is me. Instead of like, no, recognize that, and then now you can hear the voice of the Lord. Now you can follow your master, because he has done the work for you. Again, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So this is the work, by the way, and the desire of God for all mankind. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Seven. Three. No, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Sorry. That's okay. One. I know. One, three through seven. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. God desires us to be comforted. God knows we're afflicted. God understands that. And so when we mourn, when we, when we mourn over the depravity of the world, he gives us hope. He gives us understanding. He comforts us. We will be comforted. And so it's okay at times to feel bad about your state. It's okay to go, not Idaho, but it's okay to your personal state to go, whoo, man, I blew it. Because that's the only way we can receive comfort. Um, Because we won't receive it. We won't receive it if we don't realize we need it. Jeremiah 31, 13. Jeremiah 31, 13. Jeremiah 31, 13. There we go. Jeremiah 31, 13. So verse 13 of Jeremiah 31. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. These are promises of of God restoring Israel. And he also has this this parallel to to us. And he will give us comfort. Psalm 23.4. You might be familiar with Psalm 23. We actually read Psalm 23 in response today. Psalm 23 verse 4. So this speaks to what we feel about the depravity of the world today and those that are surrounding us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod and staff also has to deal with direction and discipline for us. You know, don't despise the chasing of the Lord because it is for your benefit. Uh, You know, when 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 we discipline our children, surely they will not die. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, they might act like it at times, but surely they will not die. And actually, we show them, right? God shows us how much he loves us by disciplining us, by, you know, sometimes doing that. And we show our kids um, how much that they're loved uh, by disciplining them. And sometimes... Mm, Says we're illegitimate if we aren't. Yes, illegitimate from the sinful. Okay, uh, Psalm 86, 17. <laughs> <laughs> what? Psalm eighty six seventeen. Show me a sign of your favor, that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. Now that's fun. You know, God, show me that you're on my side so that those people can be put to shame. Okay. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. I find it interesting that often I'm really excited to receive the help of the Lord, but I often um, unintentionally reject the comfort of the Lord. Lord, thank you, you've helped me, but I find that self, um, uh, I can't say the word, um, sometimes I feel like I have to punish myself, so I'm not willing to be comforted. Yes, you've helped me, Lord, but I'm not willing to receive the comfort yet because, you know, thank you for helping me, but, and God's like, uh, it's a package deal, but buddy, come on, um, I'm helping you, and that is your comfort. I'm, I'm, I'm correcting you, that is your comfort, and I don't find that too often. Psalm 119.50, and God wants to work on all of us and say, hey, I'm comforting you. You don't deserve to be comforted, by the way. Um, and that's our problem is we think we deserve even, I know I need the help from the Lord, but I, I'm not good enough to be comforted. And he's like, well, you weren't good enough to be helped. So what's the difference here? What's the disconnect? Psalm 119, verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. <laughs> you know, I think we've all been in those circumstances. I think Gene going through some of the treatment in the surgeries Man, what, what's my hope? My hope is not in this life, but I find comfort that I do have hope because he is my life, right? And so we look at that, and that's really, again, so when I look at, not to belabor the point, but when I look at the people who don't have the life of Christ in them, and they're trying to find comfort, they're trying to find everything, they can't. It's impossible. They have no life in them. And, and so, yeah, I get frustrated. But at the same time, I'm some of... i to hear that. Oh. <laughs> Well, some of my frustration turns to not only frustration with them, but then it turns into my frustration with my inability to reach them, right? Because then I'm like, oh man, I, I need to go, how do I, how do I then go, okay, if I know this about the world, if I know this about my neighbors, if I know this about, how can I? You know, and so a lot of it is just asking the question, Lord, help me to be willing, help me to be ready, help me to be looking for that, that opportunity. Because sometimes I just, you go shopping with me, I have blinders on, let's go. Instead of going, wait a second, there's some, there might be opportunities with the idiots who, who park their carts across the whole lane and stand in front of the eggs and look. Or they stand in the middle of the aisle having yeah. a conversation. Yeah. Well, yeah, we weren't talking about those. <laughs> oh, Different level. No. <laughs> Uh, Isaiah 52, verse 9. We'll wrap it up here. Isaiah 52, verse 9. Nine? Nine. 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 N
Good. Uh, verse 9 of, of Isaiah 52. Break forth together in singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And so this is spoken not even when, when it's been completely fulfilled. This wasteland. Go ahead and rejoice. And I think that's, a, again, you're poor in spirit. You're a wasteland. But rejoice. Be comforted because God will fulfill his promise. So one of the things that's great about that is that we get to comfort others. When we work together as a church, and that's something I want to encourage us um, as we hang out with people who don't know God, to tell them that they're loved, to mourn along with them, sometimes brings great comfort to actually give a listening ear. And even if they're saying some of the weirdest stuff, because I've heard some weird stuff, but to go, but to have that empathy that I don't have naturally, but I pray for it, to go, okay, yeah. Whew. And, and just them, sometimes that brings comfort and gives them that, well, that person was able to do something that no one else can do. Why? And then that opens up, hopefully, the conversation to why. Because sometimes when someone's in the middle of, of huge grief or huge anger coming in there and just saying, hey, we'll just you know, accept Jesus and everything will be fine. Just believe. That's not the answer. Sometimes just come alongside and going, yeah, wow, I, my heart breaks with you. I hurt with you. You know, I'm here for you um, and opening that up. And then, but also listening, because God might say, no, now I want you to speak. There's, there's a word here that, that this person is opening up. We walk in the spirit. Comfort is also, um, if you look at the, the word in the, in the New Testament, in the Greek is paraklesis. So this is, para is always alongside of. So like we think of, um, of parachurch ministries. So like focus on the family is a parachurch. They're a long side church. They don't want people to, to go, you know, have service that focus on them. They don't have that, but they support the church. Lutheran Hour Ministries is another one. They're a parachurch, uh, uh, you know, the LWML, the IF gathering that you all, that a couple of you went to, a few of you went to. That's a parachurch. They come alongside. Paraclesis means to come alongside and support. So when we see the word comforter, so we see that blessed, they will be comforted. They will be, have someone come along and support them. Oh, guess that's the Holy Spirit, right? I think he does that for us. Para too, doesn't it mean lift up, you know, like lift, like to blow? Lift. It re- well, it really means to, no, no, that's parasailing, no. Uh, no. <laughs> that's not, no, no. Uh, para is come, para is come alongside. Okay. Yeah. Para is come alongside. Clesis is support. So there you go. Um, so we'll pick up uh, verse five next Sunday night. Let's close in prayer, and then I think we have one or two more songs. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Uh, thank you that you have comforted us, uh, and that you have shown us uh, through your the work of your Holy Spirit the depravity of our hearts and how poor we are in spirit and yet you have seen fit to use that moment to draw us to you to be comforted um, to give us your kingdom right here in our hearts may we be ever aware of it in Jesus name amen